This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, I'm Lale Arakogli with another episode of Women Who Travel. We often chat on this show to intrepid explorers and at other times to women who start new lives far from home. Today's story combines exploration with a bold move from London to a tiny island in the Scottish Hebrides. Tamsin Calidus has lived in a remote cottage for over 19 years. She's experienced tragedy, injury and isolation, but also the regenerative power of nature, all of which is charted in her recent book, I'm an Island. I'm an Island is, it's just using the island, obviously, as, as the place where I'm telling the story from, but it, it's really um, a metaphor for all of us in life. It's the human experiences that we each meet and which test. And um, what do you turn to when that tide draws back and you're really left alone and, and, and really facing your own existence and, and what it's all about and why am I here and what am I being called to do? Knowing that that tide will return, that everything in life is circular, but asking in that moment of profound challenge, who and what am I going to fall back on when everything that I would normally rely on or, or depend on, even the most basic structures, have all been pulled away? May you find the sun in a galaxy long May your dreams be realized and your fears proved wrong May you rest your weary head when the day's work's done And I couldn't wish more for you The island is off the northwest coast of Scotland. It's 15 miles long, sparsely populated, and it only got electricity in the 1970s. There's a lovely map at the front of the book, which shows the contours of the great panoramic of mountains that surrounds the island, which makes it quite so visually spectacular and with such a um, diverse abundance of wildlife. So it is a small island that's set in the sea with mountains in view right the way around with far-reaching views to the outer island. So we're up in the west-northwest. And the Great Glen is visible that's like a very ancient volcanic kind of fissure. And so the island itself is 
an anomaly in its own landscape. It's this incredible limestone little outspur in quite barren ground around. And that also makes for great contrast. So I love that as well, because it doesn't actually fit in with its own landscape around, almost like a life that has had to transmute and adapt to being there. May you relate to the world through the eyes of a child. May you leave your yesterdays to the passing miles. And may you find your horizon when the sea turns wild. And I couldn't wish more for you. When we spoke, it was mid-September, just as the seasons were beginning to turn. It's really the first big day of autumn. It's pretty stormy outside and temperatures suddenly drop to about eight degrees and we've had winds and the seas are just throwing themselves at the cliffs and the shores. So um, I'm sitting in my kitchen and the stone walls are about three foot thick. This time of year, you generally kind of put on a suit to, to, to heat up overnight and then you just keep that in the slow cook um, for the day and, and always have a, a, a kettle on, on the stove, just warm. So you can just put that on the fast boil if, if you need it. These are stones that have been prized up out of the ground from the 1800s by hand. And there's no cement or concrete. It's all the original uh, limestone and the limestone uh, filler that's been used. So it's when it's cold outside, often you feel that chill indoors as well. So today... I'm wearing three jumpers, a couple of tops underneath. I've got my work boots on actually still and my thick socks and I've got one of those snoods around my neck. So we've not yet hit autumn proper. I've got lovely thick oak boards on the floor and in years past when I've been lambing and and still helping others with their lambing and um, raising up newborns that need extra help, often it's drying fleece and if I'm working with wools over the winter and carding and getting things ready for spinning then you've got that lovely rich scent of lanolin on your hands and yeah vegetables from the summer hanging up to dry perhaps onions off the beams and um, so it's quite a composite dense rich mixture of of the land I suppose in inside. A move can sometimes be as much about what prompted the departure as the choice of destination. Why do we choose to leave? And what's the vision of the new life that a change will bring? Can you paint a little bit of a picture of where in London you were based and what that place was like? So London was fantastic and I adored being there. Um, I was very fortunate. I ended up in Notting Hill Gate and it was before the film came out. So it was a very different environment, I guess, to how it is now. It was very undiscovered and there was a real buzz going on. It was the time of Britpop and, you know, we were all so young and just hitting London and finding our niche and just loving life and living life um, out loud. And 
I guess my environments went from BBC and publishing and then into advertising. And I I ended up doing a lot of shoot location work out in America. So I was traveling and moving around quite a lot. And, you know, the world felt so big, um, being so young and and meeting so many different communities um, across the globe. Um, And then one day I had a huge car smash and that really stopped me in my tracks. And it was a very frightening time and very sobering time because, you know, at that age, you feel that you're invincible. You've got your whole life ahead of you. And I really had to learn to walk again and to really get basic function. I was really fascinated by the therapies and natural medicines that had helped me and and actually enabled me to avoid surgery. And I just thought, well, that's helped me so much. I would love to learn how to share that with others. And so I just went back to school and retrained and studied and specialising in trauma work and things like that. So I then ended up in a GP practice and um, doing a lot of outreach stuff then. And as a result of that, I had to move communities. By this stage, I'd met somebody that then became my husband. And yeah, we were living in a community that we didn't really know. We decided to settle there. It was somewhere where we thought we'd having family and yeah and then suddenly that community changed overnight you know at different times in London communities kind of change and uh, social political things happen and the whole the whole atmosphere can just suddenly shift and we were right on the edge of uh, a a fresh uh, gang turf and our place just became a kind of hip place if you like it suddenly became not safe to walk out even in the daytime it certainly wasn't safe to walk out at night neighbors were getting knocked down our place was smashed into um you know firecrackers and all sorts of things um put in through the front door i mean it got really extreme so you and your partner at the time you decided that you were going to leave we just decided that you know now is the time and to really find somewhere where we could bring our life and our work much more closely together and live much more closely to the land and actually be in an environment that would nourish and nurture us and have nature as its focus. We looked all over the place. We looked overseas, we looked in Europe. But my childhood, a lot of that was spent up in Scotland, really in remote places. And my husband was Scottish. So the two kind of threads came together. So we thought, let's go and look. And so one day we just got in the car really early in the morning and and just drove all the way up and um, ended up in Oban. Oban is the gateway to an archipelago of Hebridean islands. It's a coastline town popular with tourists and home to a ferry hub with routes spanning out to islands close to the mainland and to those like Tamsins that are more remote. In retrospect, did you have any idea what you were getting into? Do you think that you went into it with your eyes wide open or, you know, kind of totally closed? I guess most people, you know, in their early 30s, there's so much hope and there's so much optimism. And with that, there's this beautiful blend of naivety and um, just thinking, you know, wherever we go, it's going to be okay. The actual croft and the cottage and it had a barn and so much potential you couldn't have at that stage you know even have bought a 
tiny, tiny uh, single bed studio for close to what we were putting down as our outlay, partly because it was in such poor condition. But, you know, it was 22 acres of just beautiful, albeit unloved land, but there was so much potential there. So really, once we got to the island and found that place, you know, that decision was made pretty fast. The first morning that we woke up there, we weren't actually in the cottage because the cottage was still uninhabitable. So um, it was a different sort of piece, waking up at first light in very early May, that beautiful early spring Hebridean gloaming light in the morning where the stars are still out and you've got this lemon apricot sky and just a trace of the Milky Way passing over, beyond over the sea and all of the birds calling and we're lying in this very dilapidated broken old caravan um, which leaks so we've got buckets there you know ready ready for when the summer breaks but fortunately the summer doesn't break for two or three months Um, (laughs) and looking out of these um, you know steamed up windows the condensation and just seeing the cottage there in this field and just thinking wow we're here. This is this is our life. After the break, despite her lack of experience at farming, Tamsin discovers she has a natural way with animals that's crucial to her survival on the island. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs, Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, 
they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tyres, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Clearly there was no coming back and it sounds just extraordinary. And you moved into something called a croft. I'm familiar with that word, but I think for a lot of listeners that might seem totally foreign. What's a croft? So a croft originally was a very small strip piece of grazing where when the islands were much more densely populated, it enabled families to have their own means of growing their own um, food and also keeping very basic livestock. But right at the beginning, you know, never having kept livestock before, it was a prerequisite, um, mandatory to having a croft. And you, you don't just take it, you have to actually apply for it and to be approved to take it by what was called the Crofting Commission, which is a very old um, system that vets your application and sees if you are going to be stayers, what you've got to contribute and what you've got to offer and why that particular piece of ground should go to you. So um, we were we were very fortunate, you know, we were we were granted that permission. And so the first thing we had to do then was to go out to the local um, auctions and markets. And um, we brought back cows um, with calves at foot and, and having to learn how to handle those and, and, and what to do and so on. And then and then um, in, in one of the later sales, um, getting a, a flock of sheep because the cows and the the sheep together really gives that best working of the ground so that it it's it's really kind of producing as 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 it should in 2011 Tamsin's marriage fell apart and a series of injuries made working the farm almost impossible just as things are being built in nature actually within the human relationships things are starting to fray and break down sadly we get to a point where it really gets to a point of no return the whole situation implodes and explodes and it's um, pretty dramatic I'm suddenly listening to the exhaust of my ex's Land Rover just driving away and I'm lying on the floor And I won't go into how or why, because there are different reasons as to why this happens. But I have uh, two broken hands and I'm, you know, suddenly on my own and thinking, how on earth am I going to run this place by myself? Also, because it's very, very rare that um, a woman would stay behind. Um, You know, it's a very male, very patriarchal farming world. Your decision to continue on alone wasn't necessarily sort of received warmly or I guess was treated with curiosity or confusion, which must have added a whole other layer to the difficulty of that time. 
I'm really interested to know, though, that there were, you know, the one thing that remains consistent in this is nature and your natural surroundings and the wildness of where you are. How did bonding with nature during this time strengthen you? And what did nature teach you about how to cope? I was so grateful to have the land around me and also the animals that were needing my care because, you know, they didn't have anyone else to look after them. And when we go into that act of giving to others, it's amazing what kind of strength that that yields back. And I think that's really what the nature taught me was when you give, you receive. It's just so simple. And often, you know, beautiful uh, realisation that every problem holds its own solution. She relied on her Highland mare Foley and sheepdog, Maud, to help her. But it became harder and harder to make ends meet. A turning point came after a series of power cuts. The meat had gone off in the freezer and uh, just a whole series of circumstances meant that they just was not the means for food. And so I had to turn to the land. And, and one of the first things I noticed was how the sheep were being quite selective in what they were eating, even in a you know square foot. And I started to identify the different plants that were there. And then from there, realized that actually it's not just grass. There is just incredible nutrition that's there, even in this very small square foot. Here's a moment from I Am An Island, where Tamsin describes turning to the land and foraging in order to eat. Some worries keep you awake at night. Hunger is one. One day, standing in the garden, I hear my stomach churning and cramping with hunger. I reach out and snap off a small handful of greenery. I find myself wondering how it would taste. Here, I offer one to my dog, who is watching me closely. She sniffs it licks it inquisitively and then turns away as if affronted, the look in her eye one of disgust. Oh, come on, I tell her. It's not that bad. And then I look over my shoulder quickly and back the other way because it feels somehow savage standing in my garden, cramming raw leaves into my mouth. It takes a surprisingly long time to eat a leaf picked fresh off a tree. The thick sycamore leaf is the toughest, The beach is soft, ruckled with tiny hairs like a downy skin, whilst the hawthorn is as coarse, textured and dense as the silver birch is thin and slippery cool. Tasting those first few mouthfuls feels strange, like an illicit secret in my mouth. But it's more than that. It is a relief. I'm ravenous, desperate for food. Back in my kitchen, I crush hawthorn leaf with a stone pestle, It tastes nutty, sharp, tangy when it's pulped into a pesto with freshly picked ground cobnuts from my hazel trees. Some days I forage for nettle, chicory or the young shooting tips of birch, beech or oak that can be eaten raw like salad leaves. Out of season, when berries are scarce, wild raspberry leaf is high in nutrients, rich in natural iron, manganese and calcium. In the autumn I go to the woods and short-cropped hills for chickweed and puffball. Each day, I give thanks for what I have to eat. I make my own rituals, filling the emptiness with meaning that seems to offer renewed hope. It is strange to feel stronger, for my skin to toughen and hands roughen, as I learn not just how to live, but how to survive. Wild foraging teaches you so much more than simply what you can and cannot eat. It teaches gratitude, resilience. 
May you walk the earth like you're ten feet tall. May the birds unite beneath you if you should fall. And may you love like you've never known loss at all. And I couldn't wish more for you. It's different to, I suppose, how I would wild forage now, which is as a supplement to and something that I love to do and enjoy doing and you know, is is important and, and really part of the fabric of life here. Thank goodness for that over the last few years of the pandemic as well. But um, at that time, it really was to eat, to live, to eat. Um, so that was an extraordinary realisation and, and suddenly realising that this huge landscape that was around that perhaps at times had felt overwhelming, that perspective shifted and it became incredibly nourishing and supportive and an anchor for me. Instincts guide us to where we need to look and how we need to look. And one of the biggest learnings is actually switching off that thinking part of the brain and starting to use your full acumen of senses that that we dull down, we deaden down in our modern world Coming up, Tamsin on raising wild birds who accompany her around the farm. Join me, Esther Perel, every Monday in my office on Where Should We Begin? I'm talking to couples and individuals about love and work, about turning conflict into connection. More than ever, our relationships define the quality of our lives. So let's explore the myriad of relational challenges together. See you Monday. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. I raised a a beautiful rook over the uh, springtime that was raided from its nest just as a tiny nestling and a buzzard had come in and literally lifted it out of the nest um, away from the parent birds away from its siblings and normally that that's just a very sad end of the story but incredibly the whole colony the whole rookery mobbed this bird of prey and it dropped this young chick and Incredibly, it didn't die when it hit the ground. And um, I had a call from a neighbor to say, can you help? Because we know that you know how to do these things. And and so that youngster has been living with me inside the house since March and, and just recently has just started that proper process of rewilding and joining the bigger rookery out in the trees. Ruthie the Rook, in conversation with Tamsin. I'm feeding her at breakfast. I've done it like a wild prayer and blessing, and there's some nice sounds going on with that. 
we're actually conversing and she's eating. I've not caged her at all. And uh, that, 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 that's been the most beautiful thing. And um, so I call her and she calls me back. The same with the other little birds. And you get to know their voices distinctively because just like, just like us, every single bird has its own unique voice. And you, you start to be able to uh, recognise that amongst all the bird song that you hear. I raise wild birds every year, but each year, each one is different. And, you know, very, very intensive, particularly at the beginning when you're giving 10-minute feeds. But yeah, that's that's just been a really beautiful experience. But it's meant that I haven't been over to Oban in, in a long time. So, you know, feeling very happy and very homebound at the moment. And, and you realise that right here, we've got everything that we need. God, that sounds magical. What a scene of the birds and also like incredibly intense. Yeah. And they give over the years, they, they, they show you such tenderness and how complex their social interactions are that they share with us as well. You know, a starling that I used to have would fall asleep in the nook of my neck. And every night before she slept, she'd trace my cheek with her beak. They are very responsive beautiful, intuitive, compassionate and wildly intelligent creatures. We have so much to learn. You can follow along with Tamsin's upcoming Winter on the Farm on Instagram. You know, you've got Christmas and you're walking out to the uh, church service, which is in this very old um, 11th or 12th century church. And the bell is rung, uh, it's still there in the bell tower, and it's rung when everybody's standing inside and everybody's just there with a candlelit lantern. I mean, you talk about it and clearly you love that island and the life you chose really deeply. There's a point in all of our lives where, you know, life life can meet you unexpectedly or perhaps with a, a force of motion that, that you're not quite ready for. But you know, it's always teaching you something very, very precious, I think. You know, those times of difficulty are really there as beautiful situations of growth. And it's only when we dare to put down roots and to start to sow into that bare ground that really you're, you're really planting hope for your future. And that might not come immediately, but it's so important to do the sowing, to do the blessing in the times of those hard times of challenge and difficulty, because the very act of doing that gives back so much. And what I'm suggesting is that we are all islands until we meet that point of really tapping into that greater uh, source of presence. And it's only when we start to really yield to that and to really surrender to that greater power and not trying to work everything out in our own will and in our own timing, you realise that everything is there with a much greater patterning and that everything is happening for you and you are exactly where you need to be at exactly the right time. That is so lovely. And I'm going to be taking that away with me and thinking about it for some time. Very last final question. For listeners who don't know Scotland and don't know Western Scotland, 
if they were to go, what what could they expect? Are they going to have starlings nestling in their necks? I think it takes time to adjust to how we share our energy. And that does take time. It takes time to shed that static and to really set down your roots and just to yield into the rhythms that are around you. So I just encourage anyone, wherever you are, if your energy's right, wildlife will approach you. And the fastest way, it's something that I write about in my second book that's that's coming out soon, is how the swiftest way to access that beautiful intimacy with the wildlife is through a state of meditation or prayer, because it's that that is the universal language that we all share. And once you're in that zone and once you're starting to live in alignment within that zone, just watch and see the magic that happens with the nature and the wildlife that's around. I just invite you to try that. I love that. May the mountains marvel at the size of your heart. May your soul only settle for the highest star. Yeah, I hope you find peace wherever you are. And I couldn't wish more for you. No, I couldn't wish more for you. No, I couldn't wish more for you. No, I couldn't wish more for you. Thank you to Roseanne Reed for her song, Couldn't Wish More For You. Next week, we're revisiting one of our favourite episodes. Ava Chin, author of Mott Street, takes us on a journey through New York's Chinatown to discover generations of family history. I'm Lale Arakoglu, and you can find me on Instagram at Lale Hanna. Our engineers are Jake Loomis and Gabe Caroga. The show's mixed by Amar Lal. Duke Kampfner from Corporation for Independent Media is our producer. See you next week. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away 
can be murder. This is Slaycation. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.